pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm not the normal pastor, as most of you know, but some of you new people might not. Uh, so Matt is enjoying his time in the beach uh, at Florida. Um, and even just this morning, I'm so encouraged by the church, encouraged by, we have Pat up here singing with Kim. Uh, we have people doing sound and slides, people greeting. Um, and even though the, the pastor isn't here, that the church can still function. The church isn't led by one person, uh, as good as Matt is and as much as we might want him to be here. Uh, it's not led by just one person. And so it's encouraging to see just people stepping up in their roles and their opportunities to, to serve. Um, and so, Matt, we're, we're thankful and grateful for you as you're probably watching on the beach in your flip-flops somewhere. Um, but after the service, we'll be having a roast of Matt, so I don't want him to hear it. But afterwards, we'll have a roast. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so feel free to stick around for that. But as always, uh, when I speak, I like to start with prayer. I know I need it. I know we need it. So let us pray again. Dear God, I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to gather together as your church, uh, for the opportunity to, to sing songs of worship and praise, uh, to be able to listen and to, to read and study your word. God, I pray you'll give us hearts to understand. Um, I pray that you'll allow us to understand what it looks like to live in the desert, um, sometimes in the wilderness as we navigate this life. God, help us to, to do that well and to do that honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so if you looked at kind of the pamphlet, the kind of topic today is walking in the wilderness and walking kind of in the desert. And I think that's kind of even still fitting because we've gone through a lot. Everyone, um, even with just within the last two years, we've gone through a lot, right? Even as we were to think two years ago in January of 2020, our lives looked different than they did today. Some of us maybe are still working from home or working from home more often than they were. Um, but the pandemic kind of affected everyone everywhere. It kind of brought everyone everywhere into kind of a wilderness walking, a uh, difficulty in the desert, right? It, it just brought unforeseen things into all of our lives that we weren't expecting, right? You don't expect a global pandemic to happen on the scale that it did. Um, and so it was kind of a disruption to our normal lives. Things that we had gone about doing with um, maybe meeting together with, with friends and family was stopped for a little bit. Um, maybe that was financial pressures that we had that came to our front door because a lot of things changed financially. And so we understand and, and can see like, okay, the, the pandemic is, is over for the mental kind of aspect of it. But we also understand that a lot of the effects of the pandemic are still here, right? And so some of those effects um, were just mentally that Mentally and socially, we, we couldn't see people, and so we kind of all felt what it looked like to kind of just be trapped at home with, with the family, and maybe that was a good thing, maybe that was a bad thing, um, but we just understood, like, 
we need to be around people, and when we're not around people, it's not how life should be. Maybe the, the effects um, that were brought with the, the pandemic were financial. Maybe some people lost their jobs. Maybe some people had to, to work a lot harder to keep their job because their company was laying people off. I don't know everybody's situation here, but like I said, I think everyone everywhere during the pandemic and, and throughout life goes through a time of wilderness, goes through a time of just difficulty, struggle, trial. And so what do we do with that? How, how, how do we deal with that? And so maybe that was on the global scale, but maybe that was also personal. It wasn't just out um, in the world. Maybe that had to deal with our personal lives. And so maybe you're just thinking to yourself, man, like everything that I kind of think I should do and I go and do just ends up going wrong. Every time I think, okay, God's leading me here and God's pointing me in this direction, it turns out that it's like this was, seemed like it was a mistake. It didn't work out the way that I thought it did. And so you maybe personally start to feel like a sense of lostness, a sense of, man, like, how am I fitting in this world? God, where are you? God, are, are, are you good? God, can you hear me? These questions come because of personal things. Or maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a person close to us that kind of hurt us and hurt us bad. That almost like they cut out something in our chest, kind of reached in, grabbed our heart, kind of almost stabbed it and just kept opening the wounds. It's just like, What's going on, God? Like, you have that sense of, of hurt, humiliation, again, lostness, this idea of just like, what's going on in this world? What's going on with me? Or maybe it was a diagnosis that you didn't expect. Maybe it was a friend, family, that the doctor came and told and said, this is what's happening. There's a couple words that kind of shift things in life, and maybe you heard one of those, and maybe that was like, oh, how, how am I going to navigate this? It feels overwhelming. It feels incredibly difficult. Like words necessarily can't describe what, what is happening here. And so how do we deal with times in the wilderness? How, how do we deal with life in the desert when it feels like we're on our own? We're standing there and being like, God, where are you? And we just don't see him working, don't see him acting, we don't see his goodness in our life. And so then that kind of causes us to step back and say, okay, well, if God's not there, I need to do this myself. And then you continue on this path, and then you almost go down a cycle of just questioning God. Where is he? Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you acting on my behalf? And then you feel guilty for not coming to God, and then that leads you kind of further down uh, the rabbit hole. And so it's the question, what do we do in the wilderness? H how do we navigate the wilderness? And I think that's an important question as even we see all throughout the Bible. It's not, um, it's not uncommon. As much as we'd like kind of these trials and difficulties to be rare in our life, I think the Bible speaks to kind of something other than that. It speaks to difficulty. It speaks to suffering. Even we see kind of throughout the Psalms, right? One Psalm that I was looking at is, is Psalm chapter 22, right? 
And David is writing, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Right? Like, even as we, we, we see Psalm 22, that is David. Like, King David, the, the guy who's labeled the man after God's own heart, he's like, God, where are you? I feel that I'm just all by myself here. Where are you? But it's not just David. We see in uh, Psalm chapter 79 as well that Asaph says, How long, O Lord? Will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? So again, we see another person throughout the psalm kind of just sharing their heart, being like, God, like, where are you? I feel like your anger is just against me because everything in life is going wrong. And even again, we see another psalm of another uh, writer of the psalm in chapter 88 saying, Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. This was written by the sons of Korah. So even in, in the Psalms, where it's just an awesome book about just people sharing their heart, we see King David, we see Asaph, the sons of Korah, all kind of sharing this typical reality of life that sometimes it's like, God, where are you? God, God, what are you doing in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this wilderness? What are you doing? And so I mention all of this because I think it's important. I think the Bible has something to say. The Bible has something to speak on life when we're struggling, when, when we're in this difficulty. And so kind of the main theme, the main idea that I have for us today, just pulling it right out of, out of the text that we'll be looking at is, in the wilderness, remember God's guidance, know his discipline, and take care of your heart. I think these three things as we will be looking at in Deuteronomy chapter 8, are just pulled right out of the text. Remember God's guidance. Know his discipline and take care of your heart. I think these three things aren't, aren't like some magical thing you've never heard of. It's not going to be some brand new insight that you've never heard. But this is coming from the word of God. And I, I believe that the word of God is powerful. I believe that the word of God is what can change our hearts and to, to redirect our focus sometimes when it's not right. And so I just want us to, to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and see what God has to say to, to Israel and, and more broadly to us. So the first section, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 says, The whole commandment I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land, that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you before that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, um, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. And so, even as we look at verse 
2, it, it specifically says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you, right? And so Deuteronomy chapter 8, he is speaking to the Israelites to kind of give us a quick summary of that. The Israelites were God's chosen people, right? He, he talks to Abraham and says, okay, through you, that you will be a great nation. I will give you a great people. Quickly going through Genesis, we see kind of growing and growing and growing to the point that they are able to have a son whose name is Joseph, who is able to work his way up by God's sovereignty to kind of be number two in all of Egypt. So he's able to, to have the wisdom and insight to know, to, to store grain because a famine's coming. And so gets to this prominent place. But then these Egyptian pharaoh says, okay, these people are going to try and overtake us. So we're going to put them to slavery. They're going to be slaves of ours to do our bidding, to do what we need. And so the book of Genesis is God saying, I have not forgotten my people. I'm going to lead you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you to the promised land. And so we see throughout Exodus and, and Leviticus and Numbers kind of God working his way um, for these people of Israel, but didn't always work out perfectly, right? We, we understand that they were led out miraculously through, through the power of God by um, 10 plagues that were sent, and then ultimately the Red Sea being part of God just pretty much saying to water, like, you stop, you are no longer moving, so that the people of Israel walk through, only to have them disobey and walk the wilderness for 40 years, right? Like, I know some of you right now, wintertime, you're probably like, oh yeah, I'd love to walk in the wilderness of the desert. Um, how about for 40 years? That, that'd, be, that'd be kind of a lot to walk. I know we're kind of sick of, sick of snow and we don't want it anymore, but walking in the wilderness, I think would be a very hard task to do for 40 years. And so he, he says, I want you to remember the whole thing that God has done. But even in this passage, he focuses not on the 10 plagues that, that God has done, not on the crossing of the Red Sea. He focuses on daily, uh, the, the daily leading that God had for the people of Israel. Right? As, as we look again to the, to the text of Scripture, it says uh, in, in verse 3, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. Right? We've, most of us have probably heard how walking through the wilderness, obviously they didn't probably have a Wegmans, they didn't have a Five Guys that they could go and stop by, right? And so it's like, what are you supposed to do in the desert with the sun beating down on you? They're not going to have these fast food places to go. And so God himself provides manna. He provides nothingness, pretty much, for them to sustain themselves, for them to, to live. Now, this was every day that, that they would gather manna for themselves and their family, and they would eat it. And on Sunday, they would, they would stack up the, the day before and do that. But generally speaking, it was a daily representation of God saying, I will provide for you. I, I will lead you, even in the midst of these 40 years not having your own kind of provision, I will provide for you. I will provide the manna that you need, the water that you need to sustain yourself. But it's not just the manna that we see here. He continues on and saying, um, verse, verses four, your clothing did not wear out on you. Again, like I remember as a kid that 
we would probably get new clothes every year. I think it was just for the, the school to look good and look nice uh, as you begin school, right? But you were growing out of it. You were needing, your pants were getting too short. Your shirt was getting too short, right? You just needed new clothes. Now, maybe some of you are parents, uh, maybe like my parents, who were like, well, I, had, I have shoes and I have clothes that I've had for 20 years of my life. And I'm like, true, but you maybe haven't worn them every day for 20 years. They're just pretty much hidden in your closet because you don't wear them. But the people of Israel, from, from what we're told from, from the Exodus, they were told, put on your cloak, put on your belt, and when the 10th plague happens, get ready to go. I, I don't think they kind of came and put all their clothes on, dressed like the Michelin man, ready to run out of the Exodus with five, five shirts, five pants ready, just because they're like, we're going to live in the wilderness for 40 years. I, I don't think they were thinking that. And so God here again is saying, I am daily providing for you, your, your clothes, right? Like as the desert sun's beating down, as you're walking every day, I'm sure your clothes naturally would just fall apart, right? Cloth can only last so long and as you're walking and, and making your way through the desert. I'm sure eventually, naturally, they would just fall apart, turn to dust. But God says, even with your clothes, I have provided for you. And not only your clothes, he says, your foot did not swell, right? The, the walking of just all the way throughout the wilderness, zigzagging back and forth, it was never unable to do it because you were physically limited. And so what God is saying here, what, what he is telling the people of Israel to remember is, remember the daily leading of God. Remember in your life how God has every single day provided you food, water. He has provided your clothes not to be destroyed. He has provided you physically, uh, physical ability to do these things. Remember this. Remember God's leading. And so for us, I think, obviously we're not going to be walking through the desert for 40 years, I don't think. But what does that look like for us? What, what are we called to remember? I think we're called to remember the same thing. God wants us to remember the daily leading he has brought us in life. And I think sometimes this is, this is difficult, this is tough, because I think a lot of us, many of us, if not all, have what I kind of call spiritual amnesia, right? And so we're going about life and things are good and then something bad happens. And then it's just like, I just completely forget everything that God has done. It's just like some, some difficult trial happens and it's just like, God who? Like what, what happened? Because it's just, when difficult happens, it just vanquishes our kind of thoughts of God. And so we're left being like, okay, what am I to do? And so the Bible here from, from the word of God, he is saying, remember what I have done. Look, look in the past of my faithfulness. Look, look to see what I have done. And that's, that's why Bible reading is so important. That's why being in God's word is so important. Because the Bible itself is a declaration of who God is, of, of what, has, what God has done for us, right? That we are to kind of immerse ourselves in scripture so that um, in these difficult times that we can recall, we can remember, look in the past and see what God has done. I'm just reading a few biographies about 
man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Corey Tenboom. And those both were people kind of living during World War II. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was kind of a pastor theologian who was imprisoned for kind of fighting against the, the Nazi church. Corey Tenboom was um, just somebody who opened up her home and, and her father's home to help hide away Jews. Both of them lived kind of roughly in the same time period, but they both experienced imprisonment. They, they both were, even though Bonhoeffer was German and Corrie ten Boom was uh, Dutch, they both experienced imprisonment. They both were put in there illegally um, because of the overruling authority, put in, in terrible situations, put kind of in what they would call like a five-by-five five room with a few other people having maybe one meal a day, not being able to communicate, like terrible conditions. And what sustained them through their wilderness, what sustained them through their difficulty was scripture. They, they, they looked to scripture and even um, in Corey Ten Boom's biography, she's telling like the one thing that she wanted from her sister bring was her Bible. The, the one thing she wanted far above anything else was the word of God that she could remind herself of who God is. And so do we look at the Bible like that? Do, do we look at it as, as an opportunity to remind ourselves of who God is, of what he has done for us, Old Testament to the New? But not only just the word of God helps us to remind ourselves of God's guidance, but secondly, community, right? That's why I hope has community groups. That's why we are a church of born-again believers coming together is because community is important. Com community, when everything seems dark, everything seems like, how are we to navigate this life? How, how are we to go about living this life? Fumbling and bumping into walls. Community is saying, hey, come here, th this way. Re remember what God has done for you. Rem remember how he's been faithful to you. Remember how he's provided for you when you didn't think it was possible. Remember how he provided for me and uh, the answered prayer request here. Like that, that's the importance of community that we have in the times when we just feel like God is distant and nothing matters. We have people to pour into us and say, God is faithful. God is good. This is what he's done for us. And so do, do we have those people in our lives to do that? Do we have that type of community of where people can speak into our lives and say, don't fall down this rabbit hole of everything, Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. But rather have people in your life that say, this is who God is. This is who he's promised in scripture. This is who I have seen. And so do we have friends like that? Do we have friends to help us remind ourselves about God's leading. Secondly, as we uh, continue on in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 5 to 10, it says here, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. And so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, 
a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of, out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the, for the good he has given you. And so, secondly, as we look at Deuteronomy 8, what it means to walk in the wilderness is, it says, know in your heart that God disciplines. Know in your heart that uh, as man disciplines son, the Lord your God disciplines you. And so we are to know the loving discipline of God. Know that whatever God does has an intention. It has a purpose, right? Even as we saw earlier on that it was done to humble them. It was done to test them. He says it was done to discipline them. All three of these words have kind of intention behind them. They have purpose behind them. It's not just God was like, okay, Israelites, let's see what will happen. It's like this was intended. This was purposed in what had happened. And so we are to know the loving discipline of God. And so, again, when circumstances happen, when, when difficulties occur in our life, maybe that's a financial thing, maybe a loss of job, maybe a change in job, maybe a change in pay, whatever it might be. We understand um, that this suffering is real. Maybe that's a health scare. And again, that's it's real and, and things that we don't want to happen. But I think oftentimes as, as kind of Christians, we're like, okay, I know that financial struggles, physical stuff, whatever difficulty will happen, I know that I'll grow through it, right? I know that I'll be better, I'll, I'll grow. Uh, and that's kind of just the, the human mantra, like, okay, God's trying to, to do something, I'll grow. But I think the Bible even speaks clear to that. It's not just if I were to say to you, like, hey, I'm going to take all of your money, but you'll grow from it. Doesn't that sound good? Like, no, like, that doesn't sound good to anyone. Um, and so I think God is saying here, okay, throughout all of these things, there is a clear purpose to this. There is a clear goal as to what is happening. And that goal is to be like Christ. That, that goal, the purpose of this loving discipline is that we might become more like Christ. And so there was a, a movie a while back. I don't know if you've heard of it. It was called Evan Almighty. And so it's kind of a second in, in, uh, in the series where this, this man, Evan, is pretty much the nowadays Noah. So he's sent by God to build an ark. And so he finally, long story short, he finally goes around to building the ark. And his wife was just like, man, like, I want, I want things to kind of work out. I want us to be closer as a family. And so kind of throughout the whole movie, I'm skipping a lot of it just to get to the main point. But the wife eventually leaves with, with the kids, and she meets God. She meets the Morgan Freeman character, God, at a restaurant. And Morgan Freeman, uh, representing God's talking to her and saying, if people pray for patience, does God zap them with patient feelings to live life? Or does he give them opportunities to show patience? 
if people pray for courage, saying, I want to overcome this and I want to be brave, does God zap them with warm, fuzzy feelings or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? And I think the, the good part of, of that movie was, was that I think God does give us these opportunities, right? It's, it's not always easy. It's not the, the good part in life. It's not when things are rosy and everything is going well that our character is shaped like Christ. It becomes in the difficulty, in the struggle. And so what if God is using this trial to form your heart, to form your character into the person of Jesus? That through this, you will understand more of what it looks like to be a compassionate, merciful, kind person. That you will be able to express truly heartfelt compassion to somebody in a similar situation because you understand what that looks like. Maybe that is um, trust in God, and so whether that be a financial situation, we, we tend to hold finances as our security, as, as our comfort. And when that goes away, God might be showing us something. He, he might be telling us, trust me. Depend on me. Lean on me because I can be trusted. I am the God of this universe. I can be trusted. And so throughout these difficulties, I think as, as we see in Deuteronomy 8, he's saying, know that God is doing something in this. That, that God is doing something in this trial, in this difficulty. It's not as though God is hands off scratching his head saying what's going on but it is intentional it is purposeful that we might become like christ and so my question to us is is christ likeness our ultimate goal do, do we truly prize christ likeness or do we truly lift up our comfort security the the peace that we have right now um, because through trials and difficulties through this wilderness wandering God is doing something that, that only he knows the full extent. That, that, that he is working this all out for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so finally, as we turn to the, the third part of Deuteronomy, it starts in verse 11. It says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiplied, and all that you had is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, the thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that, the father, that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you, to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that you may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God um, and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly, solemnly warn you today, that you shall perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish. 
because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so we look and see, okay, God wants to remind us of his loving leading. He wants us to know that his discipline is intentional. And finally, he wants us to take care. He wants us to beware of our heart. Because as we kind of see throughout these last couple verses, these last 10 verses, that our heart has a sense to forget God. It has a sense to kind of, like I was talking about, have that sense to spiritual amnesia when something happens just to forget what God has done, to forget his leading, to forget his goodness. And so as we see kind of the first thing we are um, prone to forget, it says in um, verse 14, after all these things are multiplied, he says, your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. And he kind of details then how God has led them and how they, they, will, they, they could forget. Secondly, it even talks about in uh, verse 17, I believe, it says, beware or take care lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. And so we're not only prone to forget, we're, we're prone to pr prop up self. We're, we're prone to kind of worship self. It kind of goes from, you know what, like, you forget what God has done. You forget his goodness. You forget his whole track record. And then you get to the point of, look at what I've done. Like, the, this, this cattle that I have, these houses that I've built, look at what I've done. Like, you, you go from worshiping God to forgetting God to worshiping self, right? And so, as, as we see this throughout Deuteronomy 8, He's saying, take care, watch over, beware of your heart, right? And so as we understand throughout the Bible that sin has impacted each and every one of us, but it's not just each and every one of us, it's every part of who we are. So our wills, desires, hearts, minds, they've all been affected by sin. Sin has kind of corrupted and bent all of our affections away from God. And so what he's saying is, be careful. It is, it is very easy to look and once God has, as he's talking about here, looking in the future saying, when I provide you the promised land, when you are finally growing and have cattle and you have houses, beware lest you say that, oh, I have done this. I have done this amazing thing. Because God would be saying, where, where were you Israelite in the time of slavery? Where, where were you during the plagues? Where were you during the Red Sea when I parted? What, what did you do there? Uh, or how have you been able to allow these animals to, to give birth uh, and to have them grow? Like, all you did was give them food, give them seed. Like, who are you to, to think that you are deserving of this? And so I think as, as we look at the last section here, take care. We are to take care of our hearts. We are, we are to be watchful because it is very easy for, for sin, for Satan, and for even others to kind of make us think that it's our doing. Make us think that even when we get to the good part, even when maybe things in life are going well, for us to be like, you know what? I did this. You know that, that promotion? I did it. You know that 
uh, new house, I did it. You know, all these good things in my life, I did it. Like, these kids that I have, like, I did it. it it's easy to, to think that. It's, it's easy to have our hearts kind of turn that way because it's just natural. It's like, well, like, I worked hard at my job. I, I, I did a good job. I came in early. I did it. I, I, I deserve this job. I, I deserve it. Whereas I, I, God is saying, who, who gave you that ability to think? Who gave you that ability to walk and to breathe? It was God. And so we, we cannot forget, we, we cannot let lies and we cannot let these things of the world say, oh, you, you did it. You, you, you're amazing. You deserve this. You are entitled. You are, you are allowed to worship yourself. And so as we look throughout all these things in Deuteronomy, we are reminded of remembering the Lord's guidance, to know his loving discipline, and to take care of our heart. And so this was written, like I said, to the people of Israel before they entered the promised land. But the great news for us is that we don't have to just look at Deuteronomy 8 and say, wow, like, this is what God has done for them, these Israelite people, in, in helping them get free from slavery. We have a true and better hope. We, we can now look 2,000 years ago and say, this is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus has done, that while I was a sinner, while I was dead in my sins, without hope in this world, in complete darkness, this is what Jesus has done. That Jesus came to this earth recognizing the problem of sin, recognizing all of us fall under this terrible, hopeless state. And Jesus saying, I'll take their place. Saying, I'll come as we just celebrated Christmas, I'll come as a baby. I'll come to live the perfect sinless life. I will come to ultimately give of my life, to ultimately shed my blood so that they might be righteous. They might be able to come into a relationship with God. And so we are to remember the goodness of Jesus. We are to remember, even sometimes when it doesn't feel like it, we are to remind ourselves, we are to in a sense, beat into our own brains the goodness of what Jesus has done for us. The promise that for those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus, for those of us who um, accept what, what Jesus has done, then we have received adoption. We have received justification. We have see, received the not guilty verdict. We have received all these great blessings. And so for some of us, we need to remember what he's done. The, the greatest act of good, more so than even just leading people out of, out of Egypt through ten plagues and through the Red Sea, providing them manna. More so than, than even that, Jesus says, I am demonstrating this for you. I'm demonstrating the greatest act of love imaginable. And so for some of us, we need to remember what God has done. Others, maybe presently in, in the trial, we need to, to know that God is using this for good, right? Like the kind of typical Romans 8.28 that most people have memorized is God is working all things for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. That God is not kind of frantic in, at, in heaven at the control center saying like, what do I do? Like I've lost control. I don't know what's happening in, in their lives. God, God knows what is happening, that 
he truly wants what's best for us. And what's best for us is to be more like Christ, that, that we might be able to be shaped and sometime in the, sometimes in the fiery furnace of life that needs to burn off the, um, the dross, burn off the, the impurities that we have in life so that we can be more like Christ. So some of us need to be, be reminded of knowing that God is working these things, knowing that he is intentional and purposeful in the trials and difficulties. Thirdly, we need to take care of our hearts. We need to watch over our hearts because they are prone to wander. They're prone to wander off into forgetfulness, into selfishness, into pride. Our hearts are prone to do that. And so we need to remind ourselves the goodness of what he has done. We need to be immersed in scripture that our heart um, would be protected from the, the lies of Satan. We need to have brothers and sisters around us kind of linking arms that will be able to, to stand with us in battle and saying, no, like, this is who God is. This is what he's, he has done in your life. This is how he works throughout scripture. These are the promises of God. And so we need to take heart. And so as we conclude today and as we sing one more song, I want us to encourage us to remember the work of God. Remember God's leading in our life. Know his loving discipline and take care of our hearts. So let us pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, that we can look back um, to Deuteronomy 8 and see how you had led your people throughout the wilderness. God, we, we understand that some of us maybe here today are in the season of wilderness, are just in a life of difficulty where it just seems like you're distant. It seems like we're just asking, God, where are you? Well, show up, and it just seems like you're not there. And God, I, I pray that your word will speak to our hearts and we will remember who you are. We will remember your leading in our life that just as you provided for the Israelites manna, clothing, physical ability, God, that you are daily providing for us, that we can look and, and see a track record in our own lives, but also through your word. God, I pray that we might know and we might desire to have the goal of our lives be Christ-likeness, that we might become more and more like you. And so through these challenges, through these difficulties, that you might be using to, to help us cut off the, the bad parts of who we are so that we can become more like you. God, I pray that we will be watchful over our hearts, that we might not fall into sin of, of pride, of anger, of arrogance, um, and we will turn to look at you. God, you're awesome. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>